Hurricane Hannah. Where are you driving to right now? Uh, Washington. For what? What's going on? <laughs> Uh, just some, some family time. Oh, okay. So you're not going up to another um, another demonstration? <laughs> no, no. Nothing uh, in Seattle tonight that I'm aware of. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm going to go backwards in a minute, but let's start talking about what happened, um, what you saw. Uh, first of all, we're here with Hannah Ray uh, Lambert, who is reporting for... What's your, what's your title at COIN? Uh, it's Digital Enterprise Reporter, which is basically just a fancy way of saying MMJ. Saying what? MMJ, Multimedia Journalist. Okay. And um, you have been pretty much on the story, uh, well, you've been on the story of what's been going on on the ground since May, correct, in Portland? Yeah, so we were covering it starting in May. Um, I think I went out for the first time in very early June, like June 1st, probably. Okay. Um, so let's talk about what happened last night. It was Inauguration Day. And um, what, did you, uh, what did you see happening? So I actually started yesterday at like 8 a.m. in Salem, uh, Oregon's capital, because for some reason all the news stations thought that's where things were really going to pop off. We thought they were going to storm the capital again or something. Um, but around noon, it became apparent that nothing was going to happen there. We saw like one person, maybe, and then a couple other people dropped off signs and left. Um, so then I went to Portland instead, where there were like numerous, numerous uh, protests planned. Some of them peaceful, like I think earlier in the day, there were some uh, protesters outside ICE that were just like holding signs or whatever. Um, and then around two, people started gathering at Revolution Hall, which was like a really popular place for protests over the summer. Um, and those were more of the Antifa, like black clad folks. And they instantly started clashing with bicycle cops. And there were about, um, I watched some video that, that uh, one of your camera people, or maybe you took, um, I saw maybe about 60 people? Yeah, I, I mean, I got there at like 2.15, and there were already a lot of people there. Um, when they started marching, finally, I'd say it was closer to 150 or 200 even. Okay. Um, but also a lot of journalists in the crowd, too, so that makes it look like a bigger group. Right. Um, and then I saw them, and you were there. Were you there at um, Democratic headquarters? And where is that when they were smashing that up? So that's in um, southeast Portland. Um, so, yeah, that was during the march. And um, I actually did not know that that's where we were going. Um, I just saw them starting to break windows, and I was like, oh, it, uh, so it has, like, a Biden-Harris sign in the window. I'm guessing this is the Democratic head headquarters. Yeah. You, you know, what's funny, the last time I was on the ground in Portland was the um, the day after the election. And I've had a lot of people ask me or tell me, you know, Nancy, um, as soon as as soon as Trump is out, if Biden is elected, all this stuff is going to calm down. And I'm like, are you do you understand what what's going on here? Do you think that the people, you know, doing the smash and dash every night in Portland are are Biden supporters? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they're not. Yeah, for anyone who's been on the ground, I mean, it was obvious that that was not going to appease anybody. And even yesterday, like, one of the big banners that I saw said, we don't want Biden, we want revenge. So, I mean... And, and what is... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to... This was never going to stop. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, it's interesting um, because you, you, you say, like, what do these people want? There's... My feeling on it is that they want to keep coming out every night... And um, and demonstrating or being activist or writing, whatever you want to call it, people can quibble about that, and that they continually need fuel, and the fuel will be, 
you know, whether it's going to be um, Black Lives Matter or gentrification or ICE or the mayor. And basically, they just they want to keep up this action. Is that your sense on the ground? Absolutely. I mean, there's no shortage of causes to uh, get people out there. Um, and I mean, even even figures like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are not radical enough. Um, in one of the speeches after the initial like smashing of the Democratic headquarters, um, there was one speaker who was saying, you know, even AOC is not good enough for us. Um, so it's I mean, it's very far left. Nobody's going to really make them happy who's in establishment politics right now. Well, I, I, w- I, would, I would kind of posit that they don't want to be happy. Happy people are not out in the street breaking shit up. And, exactly. Um, and I also, you know, but I think it's very interesting. We want revenge. What is it that they want revenge for, if you were going to hazard a guess? It kind of depends on the person, because there's, you know, the folks that are out there for racial issues, um, there are, you know, people who are out there for economic things who want either socialism or full-scale communism. Um, so it's kind of just pick your cause and then go break something. Right. And and I mean, a lot of these people, um, as as we know, are, are quite young. And I, I don't know that they're fully versed in whatever their cause might be. But, you know, they do know that, you know, they get out there to be with their crew and feel like they're making a difference, even if they don't really know exactly what that difference is supposed to look like or I, I I don't think that they know how to get there because so far as I've seen they haven't built anything all they do is break shit and they they fight with each other a lot too I mean you'll see it pretty much every time you go on a march there will be arguments about okay which direction are we going to go and there will be the people who are like oh we don't want to fight with the cops like stop doing this and the other ones who are like stop peace policing as they call it so uh yeah it's, it's really hard to choose a direction and stick with it. Do you see, um, I mean, obviously we were we were both there in the summer. We've been out together a few times. Uh, I guess the one night I'm really remembering is at, over at the uh, police union um, when there was a lot of fire and smashing. Um, and it was, you know, obviously quite large, especially when the feds were there and you had a lot of people on the street. And then it, it seemed to me a lot of, you know, obviously most of the peaceful protesters have gone home and have continued life or are continuing to try to exist within COVID. Um, have you seen attrition or is it sort of staying at the same number of, of people? I think we saw a lot more last night as opposed to other times throughout the fall and winter. Um, but this was a really pre-planned for an advance event. Like we've been hearing about J20 as they were calling it for a couple weeks. Um, so I think they, they built up steam for last night. Um, but generally over the fall and winter, it's been like way smaller than it was in June and July. Sure. Um, do you, you know, something people keep asking me is, you know, how, Nancy, are there like, is Portland safe? Is it okay to go there? I'm like, listen, guys, you know, the vast number of, of people in Portland are, you know, live regular lives. But this small, and it is pretty small, we're talking, I don't know, between 100 and 1,000 people have, in a sense, been allowed to dominate the narrative. Well, maybe because there's not a lot of other narrative coming out of Portland besides maybe the trailblazers, right? Okay, fine. But why do you think um, the city continues? I mean, uh, sorry to jump back. When, when, when they were smashing up the uh, headquarters last night, I could hear the police in the background saying, please do not 
you know, do not do damage to the Democratic headquarters. But it just doesn't seem like um, the response in Portland is changing. Is it? I don't think so. And um, I don't know if you were following the New Year's Eve riot, but after that, um, Mayor Ted Wheeler came out really harsh the next day and was like, you know what, I'm outlining this three-point plan and we're really going to crack down on it. We're going to meet with all sorts of like federal and local police um, to figure out a plan, and we're going to um, step up penalties for repeat offenders, uh, and none of that has materialized so far. So uh, I think the, the protesters are not expecting anything to change. They, they, don't expect it to be, they don't expect to be arrested, and if they are arrested, they don't expect to be prosecuted. So and there's nothing that the city is doing. So, well, I actually did, I did pay attention to that and wrote a little about it and, and actually posted that I had, you know, a little modicum of hope that Wheeler, look, someone's going to have to change. It's like a, it's like a very slow chess game where everybody's making the same move back and forth. And I thought, okay, well, if Wheeler's going to actually bust a different move, then we're going to see some change. I mean, it's, it's, it's inevitable, but he didn't, he just said he was going to, but he actually didn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, it's been three weeks since he made that announcement, and nothing. I mean, this is, it's astonishing. Um, and, and the DA, I'm assuming, has not changed his policy of not prosecuting, uh, in quotes, protest-related crimes. For instance, I mean, you would think, okay, if you and I just went out, we had some drinks, and we went up to Democratic headquarters, and we smashed in the windows, just you and I, because we wanted to, that would be an arrestable crime, correct? But if you're doing it in during a protest, it's not. Am I getting that correct? Yes, and I mean, to some degree, I do sympathize. When I've talked to him a couple times, um, you know, he brings up that a lot of the times the, the cases that are referred to his office for things like criminal mischief, which would be the window smashing, um, they don't have enough evidence or, or things like that. Um, which, if that's true, then, yeah, I see the problem from a prosecutorial um, standpoint. But also, just, like, there's an insane number of charges being dropped. So I can see both sides there. Yeah, when I when I link this, I'm going to link your incredible um, reporting. What is it, 91% of charges are dropped or they don't stick of the 1,000 arrests? I mean, that was... Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's around 90%. Um, and, you know, every time we ask him about that, too, he's like, oh, well, we, you know, we'll gather more evidence and we could look at those cases again. But, I mean, that is highly unlikely. I think I've done, like, three or four cases since the protest started where charges have been reinstated. And also, we're looking at the same, you know, one thing that I, I was just writing to someone else, it's like, I I thought that we might get things really quieting down and that things would just sort of peter out. But not only is it keeping going at a, at a lesser rate or with fewer bodies, but it is the exact same stuff that it that was going on in June, that was going on in July. I heard them on um, someone else's feed last night, they were, you know, shouting the Black people used to live here. Liar, liar, gentrifier. So that was last night. I walked with them in July when they did that. It's like, I, I don't understand how the people that are doing this cannot get bored of doing the exact same thing every night. I know, because we get bored listening to it, right? Every once in a while, they come up with some new chant or, or song or something that usually doesn't rhyme, even though it totally could. But uh, And then you get really excited. You're like, oh, a new one. <laughs> Um, I mean, you would think that at some point someone would say, geez, guys, I don't know, like, we kind of maybe come up with something a little more interesting. Um, but I, I, I haven't seen it yet. And, and I think that we're, 
I mean, do you, what do you foresee here? You're on the ground almost every night with these folks. I mean, I, I, I think it just keeps going like this. And then it'll be interesting, I think, once the weather starts getting better, if, oh. if it picks up again and turns into more of a nightly thing. Like, now it's maybe once or twice a week. Um, but I mean, I think part of it is driven too by the fact that there's nothing else for people to do. Like this is the only way they can get together and see their friends. So that's right. That's right. That's what I was writing about last summer. It's like, you're inside, you can't go to a bar, you can't go to a movie, you, you, but you are, it's like, not only are you allowed to go outside because you know, everybody's doing it and they're, you're not going to get any trouble for doing it, but you're also like saving the world. Like, yes, yeah, you're. You're uh, breaking COVID restrictions for a cause. That's right. Um, so two two more things. Number one, I saw you. Um, so in the uh, last night over by Irving Park, which was literally blocks from where I lived, um, that car had turned over. Oh my god, that was so bizarre. I was literally leaving, like gonna walk back to my car and drive home, um, and then bam, car crash right in front of me. And there was a child inside. You said. Yes, it seemed, it looked like a mom and a, a child. I was wondering as I was watching that video, um, it was one of the few times that, you know, they, they're, you know, first the, the demonstrators were trying to get people out, which I definitely commend. And then the, um, you know, the, the fire, the fire people were there and they were not being swarmed by the activists. And I wondered if like injuring a child or a child becoming injured in the course of your demonstration would be sobering. Did you see that at all? Um, I mean, yes, it was commendable that so many people jumped in to, to try to help. Uh, but also, I feel like if police had shown up, it would not have gone. There was a TriMet officer who was nearby and who, like, tried to get close and see what was happening so he could call it in, and they immediately started yelling and cursing at him to get out of there. Um, so, I mean, if it had been officers trying to help, I... I don't know if the, the protesters would have let them, uh, but they like firefighters, so. Um, one thing I found amazing that you, if you could maybe tell us a little bit about that, uh, what you saw at the bread truck last night. <laughs> yeah, so I think you've seen that before, but that was my first time like seeing it so uh, bizarrely, I guess, um, just all these people. I was like, why are they ducking under that, like, semi-truck? Um, and then I see them all pulling off their sweatshirts and, and hoods and stuff and revealing their, like, blue jeans and, uh, like, pink t-shirts underneath. And I'm like, oh, I, I know what you guys are doing now. They're taking, they're LARPing. They're taking off their, uh, their costume. They are, yeah. They're, they're making a break for it. And then as we kept walking, I saw more people, like, under bushes and stuff, taking off all their black clothes and, and running off. It's, uh, and they, as I put last night, then they'd go back to their dorm room at Reed or into their, you know, their shared, their bedroom in their shared house or whatever it is. And then they do it again tonight. Um, yeah. I would really, I'm really looking forward to, um, I'm really looking forward to the day when the sun breaks in their minds and they say, you know what, let's use all of this considerable energy to actually build something because the city from my understanding is is at least parts of it are are getting kind of ratty and it's not something that i think um you know or maybe it wouldn't be happening if COVID wasn't around you know you you make a good point like there'd be other things to do but it's sort of like a double whammy for the city it is yeah i mean because portland's already dealing with you know a huge homeless problem and 
this is just an added thing for businesses to worry about and, you know, added distraction and vandalism. Yeah. Um, hey, thank you very, very much for, uh, for talking with me. I'm going to shut this recording now. Thanks, everybody. Hannah, thank you so much. You're welcome. So, so yeah, I'm going to run a, um, let me just set this one down. Hit record. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for calling me back. Um, Jeremy, the first thing I, I saw today is that you had been in Sacramento and you took a last minute flight up to Portland. Why'd you do that yesterday? Well, uh, the most activated areas, the thing about this story is that there's vast regional differ differentiation to it. And a lot of outlets pretty much had DC covered. And Brendan is a guy who's everywhere, was up in Seattle. And I knew a couple guys were going to Portland, but nobody was going to Sacramento. So I went to Sacramento to see what two groups, Berkeley Antifa and Antifa Sacramento, were up to. Because the last two times I had blended in with them uh, in Black Block, they had attacked conservatives, either bashed out all their their cars outside around the Capitol and physically assaulted a young couple that was on December the 5th or on October the 17th in San Francisco, they had shut down about a dozen conservatives who attempted to hold a free speech rally and the organizer got his two front teeth punched out uh, before it even began. Actually, it was a hate crime that was charged on a over that October 17th incident with against the practitioner, I guess you could say, of Black Bloc, who bashed out the two front teeth of the conservative black organizer who, who put on the event. So so this, this group was coalescing again, and that's the two Antifa groups in Northern California, Antifa Sacramento and Berkeley Antifa. And I, I figured I needed to it through because I had been in the crowd documenting the last two times that they met and so I wanted to see if anything was going to happen and what I found was mass disorganization and nobody to no, no common goal in other words these are two groups that have built their identity in quote unquote bashing the fash and assaulting and physically shutting down the right wing. So when the right wing wasn't there, they were very confused in in their mass as to what they should do. And the most that they did do was they chalked, which was interesting. They didn't even they didn't uh, do any spray paint graffiti, but they chalked outside the ICE facility or the federal facility. It was a federal facility. I haven't identified exactly what it was, but but the extent of their chalking graffiti was uh, anti-ICE and then they met these two groups met in front of the Capitol and somebody let off like a pink smoke bomb that looked like it was straight out of one of these opulent gender reveal parties <laughs> and so you just had pink, pink smoke um deployed everywhere right in front of the Capitol as these two Antifa groups met in mass. And then strangely, they couldn't agree after one block and going to the federal facility, they couldn't agree what to do next. And so they split up again. One of them went to the prison 
and chanted, we want everything, which is what was scrawled on the garage door of Nancy Pelosi's home. We want everything. So they, they, they chanted that, and I had never heard that, that one before. Amongst other chants that were anti-Biden and anti-government, uh, the unifying talking point that was going out before the inauguration for these West Coast anarchist Antifa-aligned groups, the talking point was no police, no prisons, no presidents. Mm-hmm. So the thoroughness of the anti-government in uh, revolutionary or even devolutionary sentiment of these uh, groups was was pretty was on display all day inauguration day and then I flew to Portland because I had a hunch that they weren't just going to trash the Democrat headquarters during the day and leave it at that because they did do that during the day the black bloc aligned groups in Portland but in the evening they led a pretty robust uh demonstration or, or um, riot, really, uh, against federal officers at the ICE facility in Portland. So this, the sense that you get is that this keeps going and uh, in certain pockets. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Washington, D.C., I haven't even looked looked at uh, the feeds and everything, but my, my impression was that not a lot was going to happen in Washington, D.C. First of all, it was a fortress. So is Sacramento. You had... In Sacramento, you you had National Guard everywhere, and I think, in some sense, that kept the Black Bloc groups, which in this case in Northern California are specifically Antifa groups, that kept them uh, pretty, uh, um, I guess, uh, reserved. When so. and then in uh, in Salem uh, yesterday, it was completely dead. Um, I know uh, Hannah Lambert, a coin, she was sent down there at eight in the morning. I just spoke with her. And, um, you know, she basically left at noon because there were like two, two people there. Um, but the action definitely was happening in uh, multiple spots in Portland. The specter of right wing uh, rioting and protests, I did not buy because it seemed to me that it was coming from activist influencers. And this is something that needs to be looked at with a, you know, and parsed and, and really evaluated, which is that there's been this pipeline where talking points and news is being generated from Twitter influencer accounts, which have, you know, tens and sometimes, you know, 187,000 or whatever followers. And they're generating these talking points about the quote unquote far right. So all our information about the far right is coming from these activists who don't talk to the far right. (laughs) They only quote-unquote investigate them but but they investigate them without engaging with with them and so you get this this conjecture which we've had all year long about the specter of the far right white supremacy which made its way all the way to the capital which i was at and in and the one thing is i was coming down the hill and getting ready to do my first live i was thinking well I've heard all of this mass populist protest, all these people talk about anti-globalization, about being against big tech and the way big tech demonizes folks and uh, 
uh, in corporate media, rather, how it demonizes the right and big tech censors them and uh, government overreach and, and restrictions and, and constitution, the Constitution. And, and so there were all these talking points and concerns that I heard loud and clear on display. I thought to myself as I was coming down the hill, well, you know what? One thing I didn't hear about was race. Mm-hmm. And, and I get back into cell phone reception and my whole feed is everything is about race. And I'm, I'm mystified. And so I start digging and I, and I find that a mainstream reporter who's on my feed from a mainstream outlet has retweeted an activist reporter from the Pacific Northwest. And the, the, the 2.15 p.m. tweet was, if this were Black Lives Matter protesters, they would have been shot by live rounds. Yeah. And this is at 2.15, this is in the 2 p.m. hour, one hour um, or so into it, and already these influencers with tens of thousands, in some cases hundreds of thousands of, of followers, are already making it about race. Well, if that starts trending on Twitter, the tabloids pick it up. And the tabloids start running stories on this because they want to hop on what's trending and they want to get the views. And so never mind that it has no basis in fucking reality. They go for it and they're able to monetize and, and they appropriate from Twitter, from the ground, certain images and make it fit their narrative. Well, now... CNN or MSNBC or what, whatever, and this, you know, this I'm sure very well happens on the right as well. This is not an exclusively left problem. I just am able to identify it because I've seen it play out so egregiously in the last few months. But I'm sure they have this, the exact same problem on the other side. But I'm looking at sort of where I come from culturally and politically and, and what I've seen. And, and saw firsthand with my video inside the Capitol was the only live stream that made it out. And someone ripped it and took it. And I had made it private, but, you know, eventually. But at some point, it, it was it was pilfered. It was edited into a supercut, which made this ragtag group of incompetent MAGA folks look incredibly confident because it, it took every moment they were destroying something and edited it together with this one woman with a bullhorn poking her head in that nobody seemed to be listening to. One guy, it appeared, was listening to her. And so all of a sudden, I see my stuff. Now I have a conversation with CNN in which they asked me to, for usage and I decline. And I say, no, absolutely not. This would be, have to be part of a bigger uh, understanding of, of what I've been on my own dying researching for the last seven months. So we have this sort of terse conversation. It's a definitive no. Next thing I know, my, my material's on CNN. <gasps> so, so it's, it's, yeah, it's mind blowing how, and I have, you know, I have a text, the text from the CNN, you know, representative was, I just don't have time for this right now. We can't agree to editorial restraints, not what we do. And then I texted back. I wasn't asking for editorial restraints. I was asking just to be heard. You know, my point of view was let talk to us that are on the ground, that are gathering the actual information. If you talk to us, you'll find out that there's a different story that you're not telling that is actually more interesting than the story that you're making up to fit into this pipeline, which I call the Twitter to tabloid to TV pipeline where the activists on Twitter start it, the tabloids pick it up, and then the television stations legitimize it without even 
contacting the people who are on the ground, getting the content. They All they want is usage. They and don't care. They want usage. Hey, we want to use your... You couldn't have a more transparent uh, term other than beyond usage. That's exactly what they want. They want to use your material to suit what's trending and what suits audience engagement. Well, that's like, for me, I don't, I I didn't have, you know, I had people when I was on the ground in Portland contacting me, whether it's BBC or someplace else, and can we use some of your footage? And I'm like, you can use my footage as long as it's, you know, somewhat contextual and the stuff I was putting out, it was pretty hard. You're, you know, you're filming longer stuff that, than I was. It was pretty hard to, to chop. You know, if I've got some guy bashing out the federal building window with a fire extinguisher, it's kind of hard to make him look heroic. And as you know, um, definitely the stuff that, that we've seen, the stuff that's pulled on, let's say from CNN, they, they crafted to suit their, their narrative and you know the narrative at least coming out of Portland was which obviously the activists are very 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 much controlling that narrative because they won't let you film or they steal your phone or they you know they flood the the internet and twitter with their their videos which are making of all of the the protesters look like they're always the victims um I don't mind if someone uses my stuff but you need to give it context and I I think that's a little bit maybe of what you're also saying yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what I demanded. And so I ended up not um, allowing my video of the bullhorn lady to be used by anybody. I declined, you know, some one to two dozen emails and uh, had very few conversations. But I said no across the boards. And it was still used. And people just, just take it because they're in this habit, which is a bad habit because it's against all you have to do is copyright material and all of a sudden you have an issue in the sense that you know which i've done but i'm just saying that people are so the media the way that this this is going so quickly and people are are working so hard to jump on what's trending that they are skipping journalism for one which is talking and finding out what happened you know on the ground but they're also making these egregious uh, legal errors, which is they're just stealing, essentially, um, people's material. And they, they figure that, that these are young people on the ground that don't, that, that are, and they are for the most part. Sure. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a lot older than, I, I've, I've become, you know, uh, colleagues of those because I see them in the same cities over and over again. And we have these conversations when we do, we, we see the same thing and we can't believe that, that, our materials appropriated so uh, shamelessly and blatantly, and, and uh, we know that there's a story here that's much bigger than what people are getting because we've seen it play out on the streets since May as far as how two opposing movements that are populist have essentially, in the end, shared the same techniques. And you can go all the way back to Berkeley Antifa, the group that I was following. That goes all the way back to 2017 and the street clashes there at the University of California, Berkeley, and how different provocateur speakers would come and it would end up with riots and these LARP battles, you know, live action yeah. role play, as they say, uh, where people are pounding on each other's helmets with different, you know, objects and so, and poles and, and 
and, and jousting and sort of so so everything that we saw it's a mistake to not see it in the context of the entire the last four years because the rioting started in san francisco the night that trump won right or some, right and then and then it continued in oakland um as well, the next couple of days. Yeah, I I hung out with um and interviewed an activist who was actually at uh, uh Republican headquarters the night that Trump won in uh, I guess in San Francisco. And when you know the the, the they were surrounded by um, you know people in in black that that wanted to beat people up. And um, that's when she got very she got very uh she got very involved in trying to to understand uh what was going on, including doing what you uh have done sort of going, uh, I guess, undercover in a sense and just trying to blend in with uh, Black Bloc. She did the same thing in, in Portland, and I kind of followed her around to sort of... Was this, was this the, um, the trans woman? Yeah, Erin Smith. I wrote about her for uh, for a reason. Yeah. yeah. I, read, I, read, I read that piece. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was a very interesting piece. And, and uh, that's where, actually, that must be where I'm, I first came in contact with all of those details. And then I followed up and realized oh my gosh you know i'm from the san francisco bay area my folks met at uc berkeley and i was like this is my this is sort of my backyard and uh i also if you start digging back in dc you learn that on january the 19th 2017 republicans conservatives uh some of which were normies some of which were these provocateurs like the original founder of the proud boys they had bottles thrown at them on inauguration eve in 2017 yes. so and and i just posted some video on publicreport.org which is my sort of uh you know site that i put up to sort of i think i put posted it on twitter as well and on twitter there were uh i could find numerous videos of, of people in black block showing up screaming anarchy now and foreclose the white house and this kind of thing and then they hurled bottles at the conservatives, and in one case they were jumped. But the, but there was also a anti-fo-lined group in D.C. that was planning to pump some sort of agent uh, gas in through the rafters of the um, of the deplorable, which was this this event, the deplorable that was held that night. And so so this goes back. <laughs> everything that we've been seeing. The militancy and the back and forth, which is, you know, it has snuck its way in very efficiently in the first few days of Black Lives Matter. And because of that, the press has been tongue-tied and paralyzed, really, and unable to parse all of these different currents in leftist revolutionary politics, which includes Black Lives Matter at its uh, in local chapters at its most militant and in its global initiative and those who founded it, it's, it's incredibly uh, hands off and, you know, sort of, we, we don't see it, you know? Uh, and I've made the point that the three women who founded it are very uh, capitalist in their endeavors. One of them has a television deal with Warner brothers. One of them is on a virtual book tour and the other one is signed with William Morris. So these don't seem like, even though the sound bites out there that you know, this is a Marxist endeavor, you wonder, well, how much is that currying favor with the radical elements of leftist politics and how much are, is the global black lives matter really, um, 
just turning a blind eye to things that they know. And so this is a these are huge questions that if I keep asking, if you're a reporter in 2020, why in working for a mainstream media outlet, why would you not want to know that in the first week of June after you've witnessed this cataclysmic event and seen that it's not on the up and up that there's a lot going on under the cover of protest and that the transparency was nil and we didn't know who was doing what we knew tactics were being used and played out in a militant fashion and what's even more shocking is we see the same exact tactics appropriated by the right for the capital uh siege you know uh adbusters which is a a Canadian-based anarchist group that was involved with the planning of Occupy Wall Street back in 2011, they tried, they attempted to do a White House siege in September. It was going to be a 50-day siege leading up to November uh, the 5th, and it failed. It didn't get any traction online. Um, The locals in D.C. are more anti-fascist in what they do, much like the Berkeley Sacramento crowd is. That's why I I talked about the Berkeley uh, Sacramento crowd just not knowing what to do on Inauguration Day. They just wandered around because they had no no right-wingers to go up against an attack. And that was their MO. Whereas the MO of the Portland thing is more of this, you know, bring down the government. Right, Uh, but they're also, I mean... Having spent time with them and then also speaking with uh, Hannah just now, she's like, you know, they were so confused last night and most nights, you know, they're, they're bickering amongst themselves. And when you're talking about, you know, sort of a, a more like overarching organization of BLM, sort of whether it's, um, you know, actively or in the background influencing these folks, my sense in Portland is that for a lot of the activists, BLM was almost something that they were... Um, appropriating for their for their you know nightly um rampages i did not see i mean and it became fewer and fewer and fewer people within the groups that i saw that seemed to have anything to do with black lives matter at all yeah yeah there was a flag out there there were a handful of black people that were involved last night inauguration night in portland at the ice facility but it doesn't feel like a Black Lives Matter um, protest. It's just that Black Lives Matter and the banner gave so much cover. Of course, of course. Uh, and 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 you know, continue. They're 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 shouting the same slogans um, that they were shouting about gentrification when I was there. But I I don't I don't see it as it's not that I'm trying to say that they're insincere. I'm saying it's another thing that they can use as fuel to continue you know, whatever it is. And what you said about what you saw in Sacramento is we want everything. Well, last night they were carrying a sign that said, we want revenge. You know, it's like, what Where do was that? You, in Portland, in Portland. Was that during the day? Cause I wasn't, I wasn't there for the daytime one. Uh, she, the daytime is when they bashed out the democratic headquarters windows and stuff. I'm going to go and this morning and try to see the day after, after pictures. But, uh, uh so tell me a little bit, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you saw in Portland last night. Because one of the reasons I'm, I'm doing this is because people are asking me, and I'm sitting here in New York City right now. So what did you see on the ground in Portland yesterday? Oh, uh, well, it was all out. 
the sense that uh, they met at a park first. I didn't go to the park because also now that I'm not un- as under the radar as before, some people important know who I am. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to get there at the beginning. I got there at the ice facility once they had graffitied the the exterior. Um, so I wasn't there for the actual graffiti. So by the time I get there, it's it's full on. I mean, it's flashbang bangs, it's, it's gas, it's, it's confrontations with the police, and, and just troves of black block umbrella uh, accessory practitioners are running back and forth, and their press is out in mass, and their 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 quote unquote medics and so forth, and so. So it was it was a full on action, and they were um, it was it was relentless. I stayed for about two and a half hours, did a couple live hits, shot some video as well, and um, it was just relentless. I don't I don't the there was a <laughs> there were federal officers. Um, that much was clear. There was a an officer that had like a giant, what looked like a leaf blower type thing that, that I have video of that was very weird. Uh, as, as far as the techniques that were being used, you know, it was really sort of touch and go. They would keep pressing up to get to the facility, but in the end they forgot about the facility and they just wanted to go up against the, the cops. So know, here's really. a question. Do you, do you think that they had any idea that by executive order last night, president Biden, you know, lifted some of the travel bans and also DACA, you know, made it, I mean, they're, they're protesting down at ice, but do they, do, is it, is it more than just symbolic? I mean, don't you have to have some information about why you're there? Yeah, this is not, this isn't the crowd for that. <laughs> No, it's not. How many? How many people, Jeremy? A couple of hundred, would you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say I would say like two hundred or so, uh, two to three hundred. Um, what later on? I said maybe more towards one hundred and fifty, as it thinned out a bit into the night. But uh, you know, it was you had these condos or, or high high end apartments up above, and the, the people just kept yelling down. You know. Get the hell out of here. Go home. Oh, that's okay. So that's interesting. So, you know, when I was there, um, the last time I was actually there was the day after the election, but I was there for much of the summer and I would walk through, uh, you know, I'd be with them. The They'd be go, rampaging through the na- the neighborhoods saying, you know, wake up, wake up, wake up, motherfucker, wake up. And there would be people standing on their porches, like applauding. I yeah. I think that... I just can't imagine that people in Portland just haven't had it. Well, there is some cultural cover that you get, you know, and from from diehards. But you would think, you would hope that this was some sort of last gasp of uh, being high profile. Now, these groups have done this once a year. It's sort of an annual ritual on, on May Day, on the 1st and more in the Pacific Northwest and uh, somewhat in the Bay Area. But again, the, the, the regional differentiation in, in, in all this is cultural. And as somebody who comes from the left, and it's hard to admit this, that, that quote-unquote right-wing talking points are actually accurate. And a lot of my conversation has been with Brett Weinstein, and of course who is you know, from the whole Evergreen um, yeah. debacle in which they occupied... Uh, parts of the campus and essentially um, 
uh, was a, a prelude to this sort of this this line of thinking. I mean, there's cultural cover here, and it goes. There's a reason that, that the demographic is young, and they're they're you know university students, and and these are not um, from all from what I can tell, and from what everybody has been able to tell that the, this is a very different field than Minneapolis, for example, which has a long history of labor and anarchism and uh, uh, has a more connected uh, through line in its uh, revolutionary politics uh, through you know, the working class, whereas this is definitely, in some cases, even high school kids that are that are in black block and and uh and college kids and so so you have to look regionally at all of these different stories and, and i've kept saying that it's not one big national story in the sense that it, sh- it should be acknowledged of course that it exists but then you have all this regional differentiation and that's why washington dc is so confusing too because you have this these kind of anarchists that that uh can cross over, you know, there, there is, there is that, and that has to be parsed from anti-fascists. And in DC, you have a very strong political left-wing anti-fascist movement that wants to punch MAGA in the face. That was the banner they were carrying on November 14th, when you saw all that video of unilateral attacks from not just the black bloc, but people who were not even wearing masks. And uh, were attacking near Black Lives Matter Plaza, um, folks that were just trying to pass through. And Freedom Plaza had, was where these MAGA rallies were hosted. That's a mile away, and they were passing through Black Lives Matter Plaza or close to it, and they were getting physically assaulted. And I interviewed the young guy in the red hoodie, and he and his girlfriend were, had liquid on them. They said they got sick, that it was some sort of chemical. And the person that was pouring the chemical was a black block person with a red cross on their... Oh, uh, so so a medic, a qu- in quotes, a medic, medic. Yeah. yeah. And this, this goes to what I saw in September as well. On November the... Uh, I'm losing your audio, Jeremy. Oh. Okay, there you go. Yeah, back. Let me redo that. <laughs> so this, this connects to what I saw on December the 5th. On December the 5th, I, I, in Sacramento, I saw them jump this young couple, and it was this thing where it was literally a curb beat where they, they pushed the young man down and were, were, were going at him on the curb. And as soon as the crowd and the rest of us sort of catch up to it, the, the perpetrators clear out, one of them who had a club, and... They walk away, and then the medics come in to offer medical attention to the guy who was just beaten up by the black block, and the legal observers from the National Lawyers Guild are standing there watching the whole thing. So you have this this radical cover of this proposed society, I would assume, because if you think this is better than what we already have, then this is your proposition. Your proposition is people who object get beat up. But 
we offer our own medical service because we keep us safe. And so we offer that. And then we have our own legal team to make sure that, that the story gets – and we have our own press to, to tell it the way we want it. So it's this complete social authoritarianism that plays out on the streets. And in that Sacramento case, what was so unnerving was watching that medic come in sort of – and you're, you're that person who's just gotten beat up. And so, of course, you engage with a medic because that's better than engaging with the people who just kicked your ass. And and it's it's just a very surreal thing to have watched play out. What's even more surreal is that nobody covered it. Sacramento, only one of the local outlets uh, affiliates ran something on their website, and they only had like four seconds of video of just – of nothing, of just people walking, and it said the headline was "Right Wing Protest Turns Violent." Right, right, of course. And that, yeah. and that's completely what it was. Was the right wingers? The police kept the Proud Boys and MAGA at the Sacramento Capitol, and then the Black Bloc moved on them, threw fireworks, bottles, then were repelled, and that's when they beat up that couple. They uh, chased a guy in a Santa outfit. It was weird, and there was. Uh, there was, and then they bashed out every window and slashed all the tires of any car that had American flag or, or Trump written on it. Jer- bumper sticker. Jeremy, where so, where are you based? I'm based in Southern California, but I'm from Northern California. Okay, and um, one thing I'm going to do. So yeah, I went on Brett's show, which was fabulous. He's just the best, and I saw I saw your your appearance there, and that was also wonderful. And I'm going to link this uh, when I write this up today. Um, the, the capital one. You yeah, yeah, about the capital. Um, yeah. All right, I uh, thank you for talking to me. Um, I want to stay in touch with you because obviously this is a story that has not been told properly. I think you and I know that. Um, yeah. And that even though I thought, I mean, I never, ever for one second uh, had, I never gave any credence to the people that said to me, well, you know, when Biden's elected, this is all going to calm down. I'm like, you really are not paying attention to what's going on. Um, but it's a story that I thought would sort of get um, quieter, and it has in Portland. I mean, you don't have, you know, 6,000 or 600 people out there. You've got a couple of hundred. But they don't seem to be um, going gently into that dark night. Um, and when the weather gets better, uh, it will be interesting to see if it starts to gather um, more momentum. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think? May 1st is always the day to watch because okay. May 1st is the day that they would come out again and have their workers march and, and riot, and they've always rioted on May 1st. So if they come out again in May 1st and then if they hibernate and then come out again in May 1st and are able to use that momentum, you know, depending on – it really comes down to on with both the, the patriot movement and this leftist movement – uh, to how many people are 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 dis, disaffected, and, and if what if a if they're a critical critical mass, we're, we've seen that that these are much larger issues than um, than we than race. You know, it, it has to do with all this other stuff, and our media being compromised is huge because the way that this activist uh, Twitter Twitter. Um, you know, pylons make it all the way to TV news also could be seen that same date that I was just telling you about, December the 5th, when I was undercover with with Antifa Sacramento, Berkeley, Antifa, saw the cup got beat up, all these cars got 
vandalized. That same day, there was a coordinated action in St. Paul in which the exact same thing happened. A MAGA rally, their cars all got vandalized. Um, and on that, but the national headlines were obsessed on the 5th of December with a right-wing protest outside of the Michigan Secretary of State's home. Now, the Michigan Secretary of State went on to Anderson Cooper. She said dozens of armed protesters were yelling obscenities. I took the video, there's a live stream that existed, and I lightened it because you can't really see anything from the video. And when you lighten the video, you see that there's no flak jackets. These aren't militia types. These are your sort of MAGA, anti-government overreach normies. And they don't, they don't cuss the whole time. One guy yells murderer, and that's the eight seconds that CNN pulled to, to air without permission also, uh, because I talked to the activist who, who did the live stream. And, and look, from my cultural point of view, it's like, okay, I'm going to talk to this person. I don't agree with this person on anything. She thinks Trump is, you know, uh, the second coming. And uh, she got kicked out of a Trader Joe's for not wearing a mask and making a big deal. And I'm like, okay, I got to put all that aside. And, and I even told her, I said, I don't agree anything I can't talk about stop this deal and I'm not interested quite frankly I just want to get to what happened on the ground did you see any guns talked to her another another protester and they said that, that they saw nobody who had guns I called the Detroit Police Department Detroit Police Department says quote and I have it on my audio of unblocked podcast episode two and in the Detroit Police Department says we saw no weapons of any kind then the Michigan State Police I call them and they say we got there at the end but we didn't see any weapons as they were leaving so how does this get out where you have two dozen mainstream outlets from Rolling Stone to Vanity Fair and all of them are printing that the um that uh there was dozens of armed protests. Well, because what they do is they'll say, well, I know you got that audio from, you know, the Detroit police and the Michigan State police, but you know, Jeremy, the cops are in league with these people, right? They've already got their narrative. They're just going to fit it, you know, they're just going to fit it to the script. And I, and we, you know, many places do that. But it is, um, but, but it's not substantiated. But yeah, and even, but again, it comes from Twitter and I, it'd be interesting to know, or these, these sort of boogeyman perceptions that everybody is a white supremacist with a gun. And that goes to the Capitol riot as well, because trending on Twitter was armed insurrection. And there were the people I I saw no guns. The three other people who do what I do said they saw no guns. Um, actually four. And I I have been putting calls out somebody show me send me a picture of somebody with a gun in the capitol that's a that's a uh, a rioter and, and we can't find any uh, there were three a total of three arrests that were on capitol grounds for carrying without a license and one of them is marked visitor center by metropolitan police department two others were by capitol police and those arrests don't specify and capitol police won't specify if any of those took place uh, inside the Capitol, as opposed to in the the park grounds around it, or you know, we heard some reports of, of guns being found in cars. So, so it really, we're not parsing this information correctly. We're not even asking the questions. We're not even curious about who these people are, or, or you know, whether they're in front of the Michigan Secretary of State's home or at the Capitol. They have the impression that that they're 
being silenced and quite frankly how big tech and companies have responded and since january the 6th it, it only supports that that even more that people aren't being heard and the more people aren't heard they're not just going to lie down and from what i i can tell that people get more and more agitated so i'm concerned i hope that we can start talking about what really happened over the last seven and a half months and not uh live in this this these media bubbles that are so disingenuous in their in their process and the way that they 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 put this stuff together it's it's so sloppy it's so lazy and it's malpractice you know and it's not and it's not it's incurious and it's not true um well i'm with you so Okay, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to shut this off.